Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Q&A. It is a gloomy Thursday afternoon, so you might hear some rain going in the background, but I think I'm recording these late enough to get everybody's question in, so let's jump in and see what we got. First up, over on Patreon, Raymond DeVerde wants to know how someone can play 120 frames per second games on their TV while streaming to Twitch in 60 frames per second if their capture card is only a 60 FPS capture card. And that's a great question that I do not know the answer to. However, I will suggest looking into some of the HDMI devices that I've been messing with recently. Um, the HD Fury stuff is pretty expensive and pretty complicated, but I bet if you were to search through their probably at least working on something like that at the moment and also check amazon and i guess even aliexpress and stuff like that for any companies selling cheap devices that do just that the hdmi splitters that i reviewed maybe a month ago now probably a little bit more offered features like 4k to 2k downscaling on one of the ports or both depending on which one that you wanted to buy so if you're going 4k 60 sdr that would have been your solution if you only had a 1080p capture card but the particular ones that i reviewed didn't go from hdr to sdr so you would have lost that setting and i imagine there's probably some out there that are at least in the works to address the 60 frame per second issue um, i don't know also if there's any other kind of tricks involved that uh, maybe some capture cards could accept it but drop half the frames I mean th that's wild speculation by the way I just I'm kind of thinking out of the box here to try to solve your problem but I don't really have any answers other than what I did in other situations and how you might be able to apply that to yourself so maybe do a little bit of googling and see what you could find and if you find a solution definitely let me know because I would be pretty curious and I'm sure other people listening would as well also uh, did I get your name right? I, I asked the first time, and I, I don't remember if you responded, but for anybody who's new to these Q&As, I try so hard to respectfully get everybody's name right, but I'm terrible at it. So no disrespect whatsoever. Uh, I try my best, and hopefully I'm, I'm getting them right. Nick Wallace is having an issue with their Switch setup. They have a G-SCART Switch running into a RetroTINK RGB to Comp, going into a G-Comp switch into a JVC D-Series, which is funny because that's the exact setup I just wired and I'm testing now on the CRT wall, but back to you. Um, the problem is that when no consoles are on, the screen rapidly flashes colors like a 32-inch strobe light, effectively making their setup a seizure risk. Just an annoyance, but they don't want to have to throw out a warning if they have friends over. Super G stated on a forum post that this won't hurt the switches and is caused by the RGB to comp driving the sync line when there is no input. Any ideas on how they could fix this? Not sure if reversing their setup to be G-Comp switch to comp to RGB to G-SCART switch to RGB to comp would help or if adding the second transcoder would noticeably de degrade the signal. Um, it's never good practice to do multiple transcoders in the same uh, in the same setup chain. It's not going to hurt anything. There's no danger and it probably would look fine, but it's best not to. And Funny, I haven't had that issue because I, in my current setup, I only turn it on when I'm using it. That's only been a few days, so I'm not really sure what other scenarios I would have. So I think for me personally, if I notice that issue and it becomes something that freaks me out because it doesn't hurt anything, but yeah, if you're sitting here, you know, you turn off your console, you go to turn on a second console and your TV starts flashing, it's obviously distracting and it immediately makes you feel like something's wrong, even though it probably isn't. So if I had that issue, what I would just do is switch TV inputs on the D-Series um, 
until I turn on another console. Now, that's not automated, that's not an easier workflow, but for me, everything is powered off, even at the the uh, power strip level, until I'm using it. Once I use it, I turn on the main switch box, which is that APC power conditioner that Renee suggested that I've been using forever. I have all of my um, all of my different power switches into that. And remember that these things aren't always aren't ever turned on at the same time. At most, there's two CRTs and you know, or maybe three CRTs at a time, and one console or maybe two, and not the whole wall. So to have everything running through basically one power conditioner is still safe because it's far under the maximum capacity of that. But that's basically it. Um, I only turn it on when I'm using it. And uh, I haven't run into that flashing yet. But if I were in a situation where like I powered everything on, uh, I'm done watching a movie, and now I want to switch over to gaming, and that that kicked in, I would probably just flip inputs on the JVC TV or, or everything really until I was done with it. Now, there's other creative options you could do. You could have like battery powered, remote controlled power switches. So you could turn off the RGB to, uh, yeah, the RGB to comp when you're not using it, using just like a little push button remote. Um, if one of the consoles you're always using is powered by, or has a USB port, you could connect it to that. I know some people connect their retro tinks, not in the same scenario as you, but their retro tinks to their TV so that it automatically turns off when their TV's off. Maybe you could try to wire up something like this. But overall, I think the short-term solution would just be to flip the input on the TV to a different one and then flip back when you're ready. But that's a good question. Um, I, I don't know of any automated solution for that, and I think I would just stick with one of the you know, slightly out-of-the-box manual solutions that I just mentioned. But at the very least, it should never hurt anything at all. It just would be annoying. And of course, if anybody um, has epilepsy that comes over, that could always be a potential trigger for that. I had a friend growing up that would have grand mal seizures uh, in high school, and um, it, it was very, very scary to see. Way scarier for the people around than for him, because he, he had it his whole life and was used to it. But yeah, I would want to avoid that at all costs. 100% uh, if possible. So I totally understand your concern, but I would just flip the TV video button um, and flip back when you're ready. But anybody else has any thoughts on that, please let me know because I'm always all ears for any creative solutions to stuff like this. Rasta Jedi wanted to know, now that I've moved, got any stores nearby with good craft beers? Uh, I have not even had time to check. I grabbed whatever was at the supermarket uh, and I've, I've basically just been rolling out of bed every morning and then just doing stuff around the house until I pass out at night or until I, I do any of the weekly stuff like this. I hope to get a little bit more on track. I hope to check out some of the liquor stores around here because um, I am really interested in, in sampling new and different types of beers and stuff like that. And uh, so, you know, maybe I'll do a live stream. Maybe I'll have a friend over and we'll just line up like, like eight new beers. We'll each split them and then, you know, give our thoughts on it just just for fun, just because why not? <laughs> but, but anyway, on to nerd stuff. Rasta Jedi was curious about replacement capacitors again. When dealing with something like a console that doesn't have a kit on console 5, how do you choose the minor specs? ESR, ripple current, etc. Um, that's really tricky, and very often I get stuck on these things, and I have to bother my friends who are smarter than me, which is why I always suggest going to console5.com first, or seeing any of the websites or sellers who have cap kits, or of course anybody who does the mods that already happens to have bags and bags of these things. So maybe they don't have time to make their own kits, but they've recapped 20 Turbo Duos, 
so they just already have them all sitting there or something like that. You never really know. Um, so ESR is an important thing sometimes and not all the time, and that's kind of the key. So I would always look for visual differences, and I would always try to look up the original cap and see. So if it's something like you pop open a scart head and there's a 220 microfarad written as 220 UF usually, but 220 microfarad cap in there at 10 volts, grab yourself a 220 at 12 or 16 volts, just because why not, you know, get a good quality brand, get this, you know, the same ish tolerance, and you don't really have to worry about anything else. But if you crack open a console or a monitor or something like that, and the capacitor looks different, so like, let's say in the context of video signals, you know, you just recapped the output of a console uh, and there's 220 microfarad caps near the RGB output lines. Okay, that's probably for the RGB signals. It's probably the same caps that you would always use. But let's say there's a 220 microfarad cap somewhere else and it looks different. It's a different shape. Something else is weird about it. Stop and look up everything you can about the original, because if it looks different, there's probably some reason. It's probably some kind of marker. And the 32X is a good example. There's one capacitor in there that's the same basic ratings as another one in there, but it's a different shape, and it turns out you have to get a very specific type, or it wouldn't work at all. Or I think you possibly could even damage the 32X. So my only tips on stuff like that would be to just be super, super careful. Double check everything and you could probably get away with uh, just visually checking all of this stuff. But I would just double and triple check everything. And if you're getting into something that's really rare and really valuable, um, I would seriously consider doing a lot of research and talking to anybody else who's done it before to double check. It's a total pain in the ass, but it's the same thing the car industry's gone through. Uh, you know, it's the same thing a lot of industries have gone through and we just need to compile all the info and and kind of get this get this stuff noted and that's one of the reasons you know as soon as the moon moves over i think we're ready to flip the switch on the wiki for beta testers only but that's the type of thing where i would love to have a cap list for weird device x where i could just go in there and be blunt and honest and say i'm bob from retro rgb i sort of know what i'm doing but not really so please don't take this cap list as solid info please double check it all but here's what i learned just to get you started and just not simply not having to write in each individual cap in their um in their part number or their uh, their c number on the motherboard because a lot of them have them listed just saving people that time it should be good enough. And as more people start to do this stuff, you know, hopefully people could leave notes like, you know, I'm John and I design capacitors for a living and I checked Bob's list and all were fine except number three. So I changed it. Now the list should be good to go. Like that's the type of stuff I really want to look forward to, to adding and have other people contribute. Uh, and I also, I, I love the honesty part of it, right? I want people to feel free to be able to say, I'm a beginner but no one else put this info out. So here is what this, what I found, you know, please either poke through it or treat it as maybe it's wrong, but I wanted to get it started. And I think just getting things started would be enough for most people. So anyway, I, I completely veered off to a different topic, but uh, yeah, double and triple check anything that looks weird is the best answer. And uh, just try your best to understand that sometimes even people who are really knowledgeable about this will miss stuff. So, you know, just try, try to spot anything that looks different and try to figure out, um, you know, anything 
anything that that looks different, research exactly the original part number and try to match all of the specs, including ESR. Clark Gibson wants to talk about scaling 720p to 4K, and even though Clark seems to have a bit of a grasp on what that entails, I want to back up a little bit just for everybody else listening to kind of give sort of an overview of this. And a lot of what we talk about with 720p would also apply to 480p, so I'm going to include that in here as well. But basically, when you're scaling video game content, there's two major ways that you want to do it. There's a bunch of subcategories that you could break it down to, but to keep it simple, any kind of 2D graphics. So everything from the 8-bit era, almost all of the 16-bit era, and anything that looks like that, regardless of what era it was released in, tends to look better when you nearest neighbor scale it. So you do an integer number of scaling, 1x, 2x, 3x, 4x, but not 1.756x. Like you're not stretching it like you would a, a photo of yourself or something like that. And while of course there's other methods coming out, polyphase scaling, all this other stuff, just for the purpose of answering this question, let's just stick with the easiest method, the nearest neighbor scaling. Now, this applies to any kind of 2D image that you would want to retain the sharpness. So anytime you have that, you would want to do an integer scale of it to the target resolution of your monitor. And 720p is an integer scale into, or integer scales into 4K. So 3 times 720 equals the height of the 4K resolution. So for any kind of 720p sharp looking content, that would be the best way to do it. And on the flip side, any kind of 3D graphics usually benefits from smooth scaling. And all TVs have this built in, all monitors have this built in. Almost every monitor I've seen really stinks at scaling. You really should run it in its native resolution because they're usually designed to run with PCs attached to them where you can run them at their native resolution and you don't really have to worry about scaling. Whereas TVs are usually more forgiving. Uh, I have seen a few TVs look terrible scaling 480p and 720p to native resolutions of the panel, so 1080 or 4K, but I've also seen TVs look very good. Not as much as, or not as good as you would expect from a processor that's designed for video games, but not terrible. So when you want to scale any of these resolutions, you want a device that's designed for video games to not add any lag to these things. Now you mentioned lag, but I think respectfully you got one thing wrong, in every TV I've ever tested, the difference between lag in 480p, 720p, 1080p, and 4K is never more than a millisecond or two. Um, I guess maybe there's been a scenario where there was two milliseconds of lag more with one resolution than the other, but as long as it's a progressive scan resolution, you don't have any lag issues. It's going to be about the same as the native resolution. Usually you get uh, less lag running native resolution, but I've tested a lot of these things with many different lag testers, by the way, so I have the data to back it up. Now, definitely interlaced resolutions, 480i or 1080i, in almost every case, add a ton more lag to the image, uh, or to the, to the overall signal. So that's the scenario in which it might not look as good and it would make a lot of difference in lag. So that's kind of something to consider. Generally speaking though, any kind of 3D graphics I've been okay with when they scale from 720 to 4K. Some of the newer TVs just don't do it that good and th that's fine. But as far as nearest neighbor scaling goes, 
there have been reports of TVs. I know uh, somebody linked here, Firebrand X, talked about a TV that he owned that if you set it to PC mode, will integer scale everything into the target resolution. So 480p would have a black border around it, integer scaled up. Um, 720p would fit perfectly, but it is sharp scaled. And if you're lucky enough to find one of those TVs, then that's awesome. That's a good solution for it. Uh, however, I don't know of any TVs that do any other kind of manipulation specifically for 3D graphics games. So if you want to sharp scale 720p, or I guess even 480p at the moment, you could try to hunt down one of those TVs. But I think overall, a scaler that goes up to 4K that's designed for video games will be a much better option. However, I don't know any of them that are in the works. Um, I know that there are people trying to mess with 4K scaling, but I don't know of any products that have been announced. Like, for example, the OSSC Pro doesn't go up to 4K. But you would want something like that because you would want to be able to manipulate all of the images going in. So in an ideal scenario, you would have something that's like, okay, I'm going to plug in my Super Nintendo and I want a nearest neighbor 10x scale that to 4K and maybe add a CRT filter. Cool. But you would also want to do things like, hey, I have a, a game that's 1080p that I want to scale this very specific way so that I retain the 3D graphics, but I get to smooth it a little bit. Or maybe you'd want to say, hey, I don't want to just smooth scale. I want to add anti-aliasing, like what the M cable occasionally does. Uh, and I want to add that to the image to smooth that out. And there is not a device out there today that does that. And that's, I think, what we're all waiting for. So your choice at the moment is to either find a TV that will nearest neighbor scale uh, and hope that that's the TV you want with the features you want. I don't believe that was an OLED, and I prefer to use OLEDs for, uh, you know, when possible. They're expensive, so, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm limited at price here, but that is my preference, and I don't know of any OLED that would do that. But if you're happy with that TV technology and the features, you could just find one of those. But I think, generally speaking, we're all stuck waiting for 4K scalers to come out which might be another generation past this so we might be talking five years at the at a minimum so it's kind of a hard problem to solve but it's definitely something that i wanted to talk a little bit about because it's not just as easy as saying oh i have a gamecube that's you know 480p and i want a nearest neighbor scale it as close to 4k as possible they're still deciding on smooth versus sharp they're still integer versus any kind of polyphase or, or non-integer scaling depending on how or why and then there's the issue of how smooth and what algorithm do you want to use to smooth it if that's the case so uh, overall, I would just kind of stick with the choices that are out there now or upcoming and uh, either hunt down a TV that does that or hope that somebody comes out with some cool scaler at some point soon. Mike Strobel wanted to follow up with the problem they were having with a Neo Geo AES running through the RetroTank 5X, and it looks like the latest firmware update that Mike G just posted fixed the issue, mostly. Um, if anybody still has issues with theirs, uh, update the firmware set the low pass filter to strong, or if you still have the occasional glitch or issue, you could cycle the different H samplings till you either go from generic to Neo Geo custom or just cycle them through again back to the Neo Geo custom one, and that should kind of clear that out. 
but overall, I think just messing with a low pass filter should be the fix. So a giant shout out and thank you to Mike Chi for not only adding awesome features to the product, but for continuing to go after bug fixes and stuff like that. And uh, thank you to you, Mike Strobel, for letting me know. So now I know to tell people, just make sure you're on the latest firmware and try toggling the low pass filter. And that should be the fix for any Neo Geo issues. Bucket said they're really impressed with the RetroTINK 5X's scan lines, and they want to pass a PC signal through it in 480p. Is there an HDMI to SCART or component video adapter that is zero lag, or is there a scan line generator that offers similar results? So at the moment, there's nothing else out there that generates, generates scan lines that looks even remotely close to that. But the good news is, I always keep a list of HDMI to analog converters that I use that are all zero lag added, which I've tested a million times. So I'll put the link in the description, but it's just retroRGB.link forward slash cheap DAC, cheap DAC. Uh, and you could just pick any HDMI to component video converter and go from there. Uh, 480p should look okay. I haven't spent any time with the RetroTINK 5X in 480p. I just haven't had time to. I've had a, spent a little time with it, but not, not a lot. But I believe it still looks really good. So I would try that out. Um, if, if you're running 240p, that would also look good as well. So I'm not really sure... Um, I'm not really sure how you would want to do that with a PC setup, but because these cheap decks are like 20 bucks and you're probably going to use them for something else at some point anyway, I would feel comfortable telling you just buy it, plug it in and see what you think. I mean, and it's Amazon. So for whatever reason, if you absolutely hate the results, you could just return it. But, um, I, I think that's the easiest thing is just pick up one of the cheap ones from Amazon, give it a try and see what happens. But I think you're probably going to be very pleased with the results. Raceroni was looking to do direct RGB capture and watched my video from a while back on direct video game capture and 4K scaling and basically wanted to follow up and know if anything had changed. And a few things had changed. First, on the video side, I believe Insurrection Industries hasn't made another batch of the SCART cleaners because um, I, I think I it was mostly my fault. I kept telling Matt, like, hey, we have a new thing coming. You're going to want to order those instead. And that project kind of fizzled out. And in fact, that's on my list of things to follow up on because we weren't just doing a different version of that. We were really taking it to the next level and then ran into all the problems that you would expect when taking a product to the next level. Uh, and that's also why the 3D printed case for those never got finished because when we were all discussing it, we went, well, this is a, a very good solution, but there's other similar solutions like it. And what we're gonna be working on, no one's done yet. So, you know, maybe let's just put all this stuff on hold. So all you would need to replace that is any device that takes SCART and would output a D sub VGA style with a sink, uh, a sink cleaner, sink separator, sink stripper, whatever you want to call it, in in line with that. So there's the Sync Slayer from Chipnetics Computing. There's the one from Arcade Forge, the Sync Strike. There's a bunch out there, uh, which is another reason why I didn't uh, ask Insurrection to make another batch because we didn't leave everybody high and dry. We just were trying to do it better. So I would basically use any device that, that's out there that's available that could go from SCART to D-Sub. It doesn't matter if it's RGBS or RGBHV as long as the signal is C-Sync only with nothing else in there. So no Luma, you know, no, don't just pass through Luma or composite video, make sure it's stripped and at the higher TTL level voltage. 
Now, so that's pretty much it on that side, and it should be fairly easy to, to find one of those or, or to come up with a device like that. If you're going SCART into your 14M2U and then BNC out, you might be able to build or make a device that just takes the BNC line and syncs the stri uh, strips the sync and then just feed RGB right through it. Whatever it is, that's really your only goal, but you know, something like the Sync Slayer is probably the best bet. The audio side of things completely changed because of MD Fourier. Now those Asus Zonar cards are not bad. It's not like if you install one of those, it's going to be terrible audio, but we've just found so many better ones out there. Um, there was the Lexicon brand. Uh, the only downside is you have to manually adjust the right and left audio knobs to, uh, to make sure they're perfect. Or I guess you could pop it open, remove the potentiometers and put the exact resistor in its place. But you have separate controls for left and right audio. That's the only bad thing, but it's a cheap USB-based audio card. Um, and in fact, just uh, search for the video on MD Fourier if you want links to that. And that one works well, but the Motu, uh, I have the M4, and that is one of the best we've tested. And it's a great audio interface for microphones, for music, for anything else, but that's expensive. I mean, I think that's like 200 bucks or something like that. And there's also, if you have a PCI slot available, the M-Audio 192 is another one we found that um, it's got the cleanest audio, but it's pro level, so your volume is going to be lower. But, you know, that's another internal solution that just blows the doors off of the Asus card. So just to clarify once again, if you already bought yourself a $20 Asus card, because I believe those were really cheap, you didn't throw your money away. It works totally fine. And it's probably going to work better than the one built onto your motherboard. It's just not as good as the other solutions we found. So that's... um. Uh, that's definitely what I would suggest. Find any sync stripper, SCART to VGA style device for video and check out the MD Fourier team and all of their hardware audio recommendations for that. I'll leave a link in the description to the video, but please make sure that you check with whatever the MD Fourier site has listed or maybe their Discord because they're always testing new hardware and you don't have to spend a lot of money to get something that's that's amazing. I mean, it's shocking how cheap some of this stuff is that performs way better than some of the more expensive stuff. So that's kind of my overall thing for it. And uh, uh, you said, uh, sorry if you sound pushy. No, not even slightest bit pushy. Not, e not even a little bit. I totally got your question. It was a great question. And hopefully I, I answered it correctly. And I really should look into updating the that video and and talking about different methods of capture. So thanks for the reminder. Kieran O'Donnell has a question about using GBS control. Their setup is a bunch of different consoles that are both RGB and component video, all run into a PVM, and then when they switch between signal types, they just toggle right on the monitor, and they'll want to take the BNC outputs of that monitor and run it to the GBS control. So this way they don't need any kind of splitter or anything like that. They could just run whatever their console is pl playing, toggle the right input on their PVM, and then send that signal directly out. But they were wondering if the VGA input of the GBS control can accept both RGB and component video signals. And while mine is boxed up and I can't really find it at the moment, I did message the team that makes the GBSC all-in-one, and they said, no, you can't do that. So what I would suggest is buying a short BNC to VGA converter. They're usually like a one and a half foot, sometimes a three foot, but just buy a short one. So basically the outputs of your 
PVM is just now is a, a VGA cable dangling alongside of it. And then I would buy two more cables, a VGA cable and um, a component to VGA cable, a pass-through cable, not one that changes the signal or anything. And this way, whenever you're at your PVM, you can kind of have the cable sitting alongside it. And whenever you want to run through the GBS control, you select your console, you set your PVM to either component or RGB, and then you plug in whichever one uh, is corresponding to that. So that way you don't have them all hooked up at once, which is probably a very bad idea, but you don't have to worry about spending extra money on switches and stuff like that. Or I guess if you wanted to, you could try to get a two-to-one VGA switch as well and connect them all that way. Uh, so then you would just have to press a button. But unfortunately, it doesn't accept both signal types. But I think that's a fairly cheap and pretty easy answer for you. Juan Pablo said they're a big Mortal Kombat 2 fan and run a local tournament circuit here in Chile. They have everything at their reach to do a good arcade capture of MK2, but the best they've been able to do is split the video signal from JAMA and have an impedance converter for audio. This gives them an S-video signal that's okay, but no Team Spooky quality. So I gotta stop before I read the rest of your question, because I just have to acknowledge that you have three awesome things in the first paragraph. I'm a giant MK2 fan. I have a bunch of friends in Chile. Uh, one of them, the, uh, the Game Hunter, is from Chile. I think he moved back there as well. I haven't visited myself, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm friends with Team Spooky, who, who love sharing their knowledge on how they get these really sharp and good-looking streams. So you've captured my attention, Juan Pablo. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, anyway, to continue the question, um, they wanted to stream. Uh, they wanted to up their stream game and bought the Gemma Extractor from Ashenworks. But Scarlet Sprite said he wasn't able to get Mortal Kombat working, and it looks like Juan Pablo wasn't able either, through the RetroTank 2X. They wondered if I have any specific tips on the game, uh, because the 15.4, 54.7 refresh rate seems to be a problem for a lot of devices. They were thinking of getting a RetroTank 5X and a good SCART cable, but that's a big investment. Do I have any suggestions? So... First and foremost, I would normally love to just set up my stuff and test this for you because while I like helping everybody, helping arcade tournaments is a very selfish way of helping many people for the price of one because anybody that's at the tournament or watches the tournament online can, can benefit from this. But all of my arcade stuff is buried. I mean, I wouldn't even know where any of my JAMA stuff is other than it's in one of these 20 boxes at some point. So I will test for you within a few weeks um, and I don't want you to spend a lot of money on something that you don't need because while I love talking about all products fancy to the cheapest solution I always try to put that into perspective and I always try to make the point that you don't need to spend a lot in many situations unless you want to of course so what I would suggest for now is to get yourself a tool that might not work for this, but you definitely will use in many different scenarios running any kind of arcade or video game tournament, and that's the GBS control. You should be able to get one of those boards very cheap. You should also be able to get the Wi-Fi module fairly cheap as well. Just mod that in there um, and give it a try. Uh, try the VGA, just a basic VGA cable, and use the D-sub output from the JAMA extractor from Ashenworks. I think that one has D-sub output, but give that a try and see if that works through GBS control. If not, uh, maybe a different type of JAMA extractor or maybe wiring your own might work. You would obviously have to drop the voltage down at that point, of course, but um, I would just give that a try because... 
to tell you to spend a bit of money on something that I'm really not sure if it's going to work, but it's a device that you could use for a million other things, I'm okay recommending that because I don't think that would be a waste of your time or money. I think that's something that's just going to be a handy tool in your toolbox. Even if you end up just using it for things like you're running an arcade tournament, you don't have an RGB monitor, but you have a VGA monitor, so just run RGB through that, and now you you know add scan lines, and now it's the same thing. So yeah, I could I could talk for a very long time about GBS control, but basically I don't think it's a waste of time or money for anybody who owns or who runs a tournament to invest in that just in case. If that doesn't work, I will find a solution for you because I always want to help everybody who runs these tournaments, and especially when it comes to Mortal Kombat, of course, because I'm a giant fan of the game. And just uh, my own personal uh, suggestion, check out MK+, Plus, the one that, uh, I believe, Paul, Paul NB, I'm sorry, I'm, everybody knows I'm terrible at names, but check out the MK Plus hack for MK2 and UMK3, because I don't know if you would prefer that for your tournaments. I know a lot of people just prefer the original game, but if you're a fan, it's certainly worth checking out, and you could use it on original hardware if you burn your own ROMs, or of course, you could just test it in MAME and stuff like that, but I was very impressed with it, and I cannot wait to have a sit-down arcade set up here that I could just grab my arcade board, plug it in, and flip a button. I don't have to unbox a whole bunch of stuff and connect a bunch of wires. Like I could just plug something in, flip a button, and start playing. I'm so excited to have a small arcade set up here just for this exact reason. So um, uh, anything else I could do to help, let me know. But I would suggest starting with GBS Control just for all the reasons I just said, and I will find an answer for you. And if I don't uh, remember within like a month, please ask again, and I, I will definitely drop what I'm doing and do some tests for you, because I want to keep that keep spreading that MK love. Wilburn McBain just asked their first question, and while it's a good question, definitely not a dumb question, I don't think I have a very good answer for you. But essentially, they picked up a used RetroTank 2XM, the multi-format, just to hold them off until they eventually get a RetroTank 5X, but their TV, a 2011 Sony Bravia, keeps dropping signal with their PlayStation 1. Um, Now, I'm not sure if you have other consoles that's not a PS1 that you're using, but I'm just going to assume here that you do, and the PS1 is the only console giving you trouble. Um, Wilburn also already did all of the troubleshooting steps I would have asked. They tried multiple PlayStation 1s, they tried composite video as well as component video, so they converted RGB to component just to see if that would work, Um, and they still get the same results. The only thing that they could do is after it shows up and you get the PlayStation boot logo, they could toggle the scan lines on and off, and then they get the signal back. So presumably when the scan lines are toggled, it's probably resyncing the image, and that's causing the, uh, the TV to rescan because it's detecting a, a slightly different signal. And unfortunately, it doesn't look like anything else seems to be fixing it. Um, I, I don't know if this is a fixable issue. I heard some people just had problems with PlayStation 1 on all of the previous retro tanks, and I didn't. I tried all the ones I had. I think I had four in my apartment in boxes at one point, and all of them worked fine. So I was never able to recreate the issue. I believe Mike was, but that was more of an issue where I think it would come out black and white or something like that. So it wasn't a signal dropping issue. So I'm not really sure what else to try. I mean, multiple cables, multiple PS1s, um, 
it could be your TV. It could be that your 2011 TV just doesn't like weird retro gaming signals, which is possible. Um, or it could also just be maybe the RetroTINK 2XM is buggy. Maybe it got damaged in shipping. But neither of those are very common. So unfortunately, you have a scenario that I just haven't really run into that much at all. Uh, or, or if at all. I've heard Neo Geo compatibility in this scenario, but never PlayStation 1 in this context. It's usually a sync issue or something like that. Um, you could try an S-video cable just to see, but I don't think that's going to do anything. I think the fact that you tried two different types of cables should be good enough. So uh, the only other thing that you might want to try S-Video for, if you could find a cheap one, even grab a garbage unshielded one because this is just for testing. You know, this is the one scenario in which a $2 AliExpress cable might be the right answer because it's just a test tool. I'm not suggesting using it like this, but maybe the way that you convert, the device that you used, uh, I believe it's, you said the brand Keen, to convert RGB to component, maybe that's not as good for video game signals as something like video signals. So it's certainly possible that um, that, that could have added to it. So by trying S-Video, maybe that would be different. Maybe you're going to have, a, you know, maybe everything together would react differently. But either way, this is something that you're just trying to hold you off until you get a RetroTINK 5X. So, you know, buying the RGB cable is good because you could obviously use that with the 5X. Um, the converter, if you already owned it, those are always good to have. So I would just say pick up a cheap, cheap S-Video cable just to see, just, just to see if that's the issue. Um, and if that doesn't fix it, I guess I would just, I wouldn't spend any other money on it. I would really just save up for the RetroTINK 5X. But that's a shame because the 2XM is a perfectly good scaler. There's nothing wrong with that. So hopefully there's something in your chain that, that could that could fix this. But I don't know. I would try the S-Video cable. Uh, or if somebody has HD RetroVision cables with the PS1 adapter, they would let you borrow. I certainly wouldn't drop all that money on them, but uh, it, not in this scenario. I don't want somebody to take that out of context and said, Bob said never buy the HD RetroVisions for PlayStation 1. For the context of just to test your setup, I wouldn't spend all that money, uh, especially when you already just bought a cable for it. But if you could borrow one for testing, that would certainly, you know, that would eliminate the Keen converter as a potential source of the problem. So either borrow HD Retrovisions, buy the cheapest S-Video cable you could find, or, or just kind of wait till the RetroTINK 5X. So sorry I didn't have a better answer for your first question, but hopefully I'll do better next time. Andrew Ratch said they finally got their order in for a RetroTINK 5X, and they're curious about whether or not it's worth it to use their Retro USB AVS with it. They're really interested in the different scanline options available on the 5X, and they know the AVS has its own scanline function, but it's definitely not as good as the RetroTINK 5Xs. They're mostly unsure what the process would be to get the 720p HDMI output into the RetroTINK. Um, would you need, just need an HDMI to component converter? Well, unfortunately, you would actually need two RetroTINK 5Xs for this because you would need one to downscale it to 240p and then the other one to upscale it and add scan lines to it. So, um, you could just run 720p through it with an HDMI to component converter, but I don't believe Mike has added that scan line option for 720p, and I'm not sure if he would be able to. Um, it is on for 480p, but I don't know if that's something... It's because of the way those chips on there are configured, 
the options for 720p and 1080i might not ever be as plentiful as 240p, 480i, and 480p. So it's probably not an option. And it's not something, if scan lines are your biggest focus, where you really just want to recreate that PVM-like experience, then I don't know if I would really, um, I don't really know if I would mess with 720p with that. I think I would get some other resolution. So my my personal suggestion in this scenario would be um, wait until the RetroTank 5X arrives. Plug your AVS into it using an HDMI to component converter. Same link as I talked about before, retrorgb.link forward slash cheap DAC. Um, and just see, maybe by the time it ships, Mike would pull off a miracle and add scan lines, or maybe he'll convert uh, or confirm that it's impossible to have scan lines on that device at 720p. I, I don't really know, but I would just kind of start and wait first and see what happens. Uh, and then after that, kind of take it in as a whole, because you never know. Everybody's eyes are different and everybody's TV combination is different. So while I personally thought the scan lines were the best I'd ever seen, there's nothing wrong with you plugging all of this stuff in, plugging in a 240p console and saying, I don't like that. That's not rude, that's not mean, that is your opinion, and you're totally entitled to it. So I would hook all this stuff up first, confirm that you actually really do like these, that they look good on your TV at your viewing distance, and then by that time, see if Mike had added scan lines or if it's even possible for 720p and if not then go from there and it would also be my suggestion once again just my opinion but if you're really if your goal is to go through the RetroTank 5x it probably would be better to worry about rgb modding an original nes instead of buying another type of downscaler for the avs i really wish um brian from retro usb implemented some kind of 240p support. I, I've been begging him for that for a couple of years. I offered to put him in touch with the people that have done it on their devices, but he just doesn't seem interested. And that's fine. That's his product. It's his time that he needs to spend on it. So I'm by no means resolution shaming Brian, but that would have been the easiest solution. If it was something like 1280 by uh, 240 resolution, so it's super stretched, but it's high enough of a resolution for HDMI chips to recognize, the RT5X should have been able to see that as a 240p signal, just like with um, uh, the analog devices, um, their, you know, their DAC output it should be able to work like that. And then all you would need is that cheap HDMI to component converter. So that's kind of the other gamble too, is, you know, do you want to wait to see if scan lines are added? Do you want to wait to see if Brian's ever going to add a 480p or a 240p output to the AVS? Um, or do you just deal with everything as is now? So that's just kind of my opinions on the whole thing. But no matter what, respectfully, I would just wait until you got your 5X and you hooked another console up to it and the scan lines are up to your expectations and then kind of circle back and see what you want to do. But hopefully I was able to kind of add perspective to it. Saying he had a couple of questions. First off, they have a GameCube with all of the accessories they want on it, and they were looking for an optical drive emulator, but the ones they found replaced the physical drive. Is there one that doesn't replace the drive? So you have a few options. The GC loader is awesome, but and it's plug and play, so you don't need to mod anything, 
but it does replace the drive. I really wish that it was possible somehow for there to be a version of the GC loader that leaves the disk drive for this exact scenario. You have your, your perfect GameCube that you like, you have your games on your shelf that you sometimes want to play, and other times you want to use the ODE, and that's just not available with the GC loader, at least at the moment. So your other option would be to get something like an action replay disk, and the SD to SP, uh, I'll have to leave a link for it, I forgot what the acronym is, but you basically, the workflow would be you boot with an action replay disk, so this would allow any other disk to be used as well, and you have a memory card reader with an SD reader in it that boots to Swiss. As soon as the console boots, then it would default to a different device that's plugged into the bottom that allows you to have a micro SD card in there. So you boot the, basically when you want ODE functionality, you drop in the action replay disc and the memory card loader in the front, boot to Swiss, then you could remove both of those if you want, select your game from the card on the bottom, and you're good to go. And after that, if you want, you could still boot to Swiss using that same method and use your original discs, so you could have all of the very cool options of Swiss on both original discs and ODEs, ODE-style stuff. So that's probably what I would suggest for anybody right now that needs both. They need, they need to use their original discs as well as have something to play off of a micro SD card. I'll leave links to that in the description. Um, the only other thing would be to just have it have the GC loader, which I believe is faster and everything else. And then you'd have to unbolt and rebolt everything when you wanted to put your optical drive back in, which is not the most efficient. Second question, they've been following the Mr. Cade hardware. They missed out on the pre-order, but is there any others, uh, or is there any full release planned? And I know for a fact, Porkchop Express, who runs MrAddons.com, is planning on making these. You know, the global part shortage, you know, a bunch of other reasons have probably delayed it and, and made making multiple batches right away impossible, but they definitely plan on continuing to make the product. That's not something that was going to be a one-and-done thing. And there's also the Jamix, which there's no release schedule yet, but that should be due to release soon. I saw that in person. It looked awesome. I haven't had time to do any kind of deep dive on it, but hopefully I will at some point. So that's another good option. And I believe there's a few others out there. Uh, I believe Antonia Valena has a few options um, where you could adapt the Mister in its current form to JAMA. So you're not completely out of luck there. I, I would just kind of wait to see what options come in the next couple of months. And, and hopefully you won't have to wait too long because of the part shortage. Um, lastly, do I have any recommendations on a modder that could do a custom CPS2 Darksoft mod in the Philly area? I'm sorry, I don't, but I will defer to the comments on this. Does anybody have any experience with modders in the Philly area that could help Sanghee out? Uh, so thanks for the questions. Um, hopefully I was able to point in the right direction for everything except the modder. My bad. Um, but as far as the Mr. Cade and any kind of JAMA solutions for it go, I think just um, just sit tight because I think everybody's working on trying to get these out and they're just battling the part shortage. Schmubby wants to know if you could safely output from both the analog and digital video ports of a GameCube at the same time. And the answer is yes, it's totally safe. However, the analog ports are limited at 15 kilohertz, so the output is always going to be either 240p or 480i, which is not a big deal if it's a 480i only game because you wouldn't have any other choice anyway, or if you're using like the Game Boy interface for 240p, 
But if you were playing 480p games, you would unfortunately need to have your games Bob D interlaced through the GC video solution. So there are a few other things that you could do. You could simply use an HDMI splitter, and then on one of the splitters, you can go to an HDMI to VGA converter, and then you could have 480p on a CRT VGA monitor, which looks awesome, by the way, and then the other one just going to your stream. That's a perfectly good solution. If you have a component video monitor that accepts 480p, you could also look into those uh, Mark II devices. It's the plug-and-play dual device designed by Dan, Citrus 3000 PSI. That should be okay, um, but you just have to keep in mind that everything has to output the same initial resolution. So while GC video devices will deinterlace, you're still starting with a 15 kilohertz signal if you do it that way. So it's just something to consider. There's a bunch of different things that you could do depending on what monitors you're using, but that is a totally safe way to do it. Separate question, I've mentioned and I enjoy going back to Super Metroid every few years. What are some of my favorite parts when doing a playthrough of that game? Uh, that's a really good question. I think at this point, anything that I forgot is going to be my favorite part. Because while I remember playing it for the first time and I remember loving it, the, there were a few things that kind of annoyed me, like having to bomb that one spot to get to one part of the game. Spoiler alert. Like, I remember running around back and forth, just, you know, looking at every nook and cranny, and finally I just started bombing anything that looks weird, and I found that. That wasn't as satisfying as you would have thought, because it took a lot of work to get there. So stuff like that, I'm glad I remember. Um, but any of the little things about it, I think, are cool. And I, the other thing I do enjoy doing, I don't know why, but... Spoiler alert, everybody, skip to the next section if you've never played Super Metroid, but the one thing I always like doing is not going to the Turian elevator until I've destroyed all of the bosses so that I could see all of them kind of explode and turn to stone all at once, not one at a time like when I played it for the first time and I was trying to figure out what that room did. So I guess if I had to pick one, that would be it, just doing it that way because that's something I would have never thought to do the first time I played it. But overall for me, it's just the experience of playing the game. And I'm playing through Axiom Verge 2 right now. Uh, I, I basically... You know, I never like to talk about anything negative, but I burnt myself out when moving. What a shock, right? It's not like I don't do that three times a year to myself anyway, but I basically just worked my butt off for like two and a half weeks straight and then woke up sick when I was like, all right, I probably should have taken a bit of a break there. Um, and I decided to, you know, lay on the couch and play Axiom Verge 2 while I was recovering. And I just loved it. And it's that same feeling of like, here's a big overwhelming world that you have to learn and get to know. And there's so much patience involved and there's so much exploration. And that part of it is always my favorite part of all of those games. And Super Metroid was the first for me personally that I felt that way with. And that's why it'll always be one of my favorites. Uh, but there's plenty of other games that, that are equal to it in many different ways. I don't think any have nailed every aspect of it in the same game, but some have action, more action and less exploration. Some are all exploration based with not much action, but the Axiom Verge games are, are very good and I've been loving the second one. So, um, in fact, there, there's one soundtrack though. I keep meaning to do like a side-by-side -side comparison on Twitter just for fun, but there's one song in the game that sounds like a Billy Joel song. <laughs> So I, I always thought every time that music comes on, I'm like, I wonder if Thomas Happ like happened to be listening to 80s pop when, you know, around the same time that this song was written. But 
but yeah, it's been a great game, and I'd like to talk more about that in a different context at some point too. So, uh, but yeah, well, hopefully, just using a splitter or some creative solution for your GameCube is the best and easiest answer for for that question. The Remora recently picked up a GameCube component video cable, and they were looking for a recommendation for how to get audio out of the GameCube, because the official Nintendo component video cables are only component video, they don't add any audio to that as well. Um, they're currently leaning towards the Insurrection Industries Nintendo S-Video cable. So that's actually what I would suggest, because Insurrection was trying hard to make those well-shielded so audio and video would be safe. So you get a quality audio solution and you have the bonus of having an S-Video cable should you ever need it for your GameCube. You could do a digital audio mod to it, but that would be an internal mod, and I'm not sure who sells kits for those, if anybody, um, because I think most people have just been using the HDMI adapters. You could also mod the GameCube component cables, I think, but I really wouldn't do that because those are more of like a collector's item now than anything else. So while there are other options, it's definitely my suggestion to do exactly what you already thought of and just get a good quality video cable or even just an official Nintendo comp uh, composite video cable because you're only using the audio. Uh, so either one, whatever's the easiest solution or if you feel like you might ever use S-Video out, you know, spend the money on the Insurrection one. So um, hopefully, hopefully that kind of helps. And you said, as a note, Patreon deleted your original post asking this question. I'm so sorry. I really wish they would fix this. It's so insulting to people who who support their creators that they like and they try to have a conversation and Patreon doesn't allow that. That drives me crazy. So I'm so sorry for anybody that has that happen. And I do not delete questions. The only time I do is when I have one pinned comment showing where the Discord is, and I don't really, that's not the place for a conversation, so I have been deleting those, but that that's it. That's different. That's not anything to do with the Q&A. I don't censor people on Patreon ever. I mean, I want to hear what people have to say. Even when I disagree, it's totally fine to disagree. It's just, you know, try, try not to be a dick about it if possible, but... I don't ever delete stuff from the Q&As like this at all. I think the only time I ever have ever was when it was two identical posts. It was obviously a dupe or something like that. So if anybody is asking questions on Patreon and it gets deleted, I'm so sorry. I promise it's, it's not intentional at all. Mr. Pete1985 said, In this week's roundup, I said I must have thousands of crickets, but I'm willing to bet that it's only about a dozen and they're just noisy jerks. Absolutely not, Mr. Pete. Um, all, all kidding aside, though, uh, I spent seven or eight years of my childhood living in Newtown, Connecticut, pretty much in the middle of the woods. I'd moved in, I'd lived there in like more of a residential section, and then I moved in with my uncle for a while who lived in like a new development. So most of the houses on the street weren't even built yet. There was just trees. So I, I've been surrounded by nature forever pretty much i did live in cities for a while i lived in you know uh, not just manhattan like other cities over the years but i did spend a chunk of my childhood basically in the middle of the woods so that's why i was kind of laughing so hard about the whole like a lot of my friends were like oh bob turned into a city boy sees two spiders and freaks out i guarantee you if you saw the amount of spiders anybody would freak out about this especially the the one that was with you know, with the legs, it was about this big. The body itself was at least one inch in diameter. And I went at it with a broom. And this sucker jumped about a foot 
onto a wall and then scurry down and you know into the walls and out and that is when i called the exterminator right then and there because if spiders are going to jump at me and i need to get i need to get uh, i'll call clint and get martial arts training just to be able to fight a freaking spider it's time for the exterminators so while i do like joking about it and i always enjoy a good tease especially when it's about me um no there's there's without exaggerating there's got to be hundreds of crickets surrounding my house in this neighborhood and there were hundreds if not thousands of spiders but i personally murdered a lot of those suckers and a lot of people got mad at me when i said that too like oh leave spiders alone they kill the other bugs they're not bothering anybody i triple dog dare anybody to go in in the same situation that i moved into and not have to get rid of the spiders it's just it was overwhelming i mean you couldn't every day i bought like a battery powered dust buster and i have like a mag light and i would go around the all of the ceilings every single day and i'd vacuum up all of the spider webs i'd have to go in every single windows in the window sills i power washed the outside of the house twice there's still one area i haven't gotten to yet because i need a super long ladder to get there and guess where the biggest spider is still hanging out in the one area i haven't been able to power wash and and uh of course the exterminator couldn't spray because it was up high but even the other day like i was sitting there and there was a like a big picture window and i see i forgot what type of bug it was but i used to see them in stanford all the time when i lived in that city and i i see it on the other side of the window and i was like oh i remember those i used to see those all the and then whew, a spider came down right in front of me i'm standing right in front of the window and it's right on the other side of the window and it was just like you see on like those nature videos where like it attacks the bug and it's spinning it up in its web and it's messing this thing up right in front of my eyes and it was big too you know don't think like arachnophobia big or tarantula big think like you know realistic size for a spider big because usually daddy long legs have like tiny tiny little bodies with long legs and they look kind of intimidating because of their full diameter but they're really tiny no this is the opposite this is a big bodied spider with not very long legs and that sucker is still mocking me i'm convinced that that thing messed up that bug right in front of me and then hung it in front of the window as a sign just like i'm coming for you next bob and this is you know here's you and even when i was up on the roof the other day trying to clean out the gutters i i got that one web i wasn't able to power wash it off but i got there with a broom i bought a broom that turned out to be a terrible broom so now i call it my spider broom because that's what i use to go out all the spiders with and i had the spider broom and i got most of the web off and as you know the one very long stem of the web as i was wrapping it around that and like swinging it as i'm hanging off the side of my roof it starts climbing up the thing so i'm like oh it's on now and i'm trying to like what do i do do i like reel it in and then like whack it on the roof or do i try to like get it against the building and as it's getting closer i realize like i'm not having the confidence that i had in this fight that i did when it was at the very end towards the ground and it's coming up towards the roof and i'm dangling off the side like if this sucker jumps at me i don't want to fall off the side of my roof so i ended up trying to swing it around and it like it got caught in a bush so then i ran down and i got my leaf blower and i was blowing through all the bushes trying to figure out what happened to it so i think it's still alive and it's tediously plotting my death right now as we speak for all i know it's hanging out right outside the window like i hear you bob you're gonna be strung up next don't mess up my web anymore so yeah it's uh it's legit i don't know why this isn't i don't live in the middle of the woods i didn't think the town that i moved to was a, a town covered in bugs but 
legit at least hundreds of crickets and there were definitely thousands of spiders i've killed hundreds of them myself over you know the past couple of weeks so yeah that's not at all you didn't ask any of that i'm sorry i you just made a joke about crickets and i just went off for five minutes my bad mr pete <laughs> but yeah that was obviously a trigger comment for me because i really feel like john goodman in arachnophobia this past month just going with my spider broom and my my battery powered dustbuster thingy getting ready to you know to attack anything that's coming after me but yeah, I don't know. This is It's been kind of fun, but if I had a choice, I would never see another spider again. I'm not even afraid of them. I just i am sick of them. Hundreds of them. And then once they get to be like the size of your hand, I do start getting a little nervous around them. But I just don't want to get bitten by something that big. Adam Adam Ant is building a CRT-based arcade multi-cabinet and wants some perspective on using a Mr. versus a PC with MAME. And being the nerd that I am, my suggestion would be, if you already own all of this stuff, why not both? But uh, if you had to choose between them, I would just kind of look at what each offered and see what's most important to you at the moment. So Mr. offers um, zero lag as well as accuracy for the cores that are more completed. Obviously, for a core that's incomplete or in progress, there are some accuracy issues, but I think everybody who works on these is eventually swinging back and, and tweaking them. And of course, it's open source. Anybody's able to jump in. Um, whereas if you get a PC with MAME, especially a slightly faster PC, I don't mean a 2011 i9 with like a, you know, the new RTX graphics cards. I just mean a faster PC. Um, and graphics cards don't even really matter with MAME anyway. But that would get you not very much lag and you know it's going to be variable emulation lag but overall it would be okay and it would also get a wide variety of games because mame supports a lot more arcade games than mister does at the moment but other than that i mean it's really just about what do you kind of prefer and what are your goals you know mister has the advantage of having consoles that are also amazingly accurate and look great through analog outputs whereas with a pc setup you could do that but it's you know you have all of the quirks of software emulation that aren't there i think both would allow for universal light gun support in in that it treats light guns like a mouse so for crt arcade machines because don't forget that in the context of Adam's question, it's arcade stuff. So if you wanted to play NES Zapper games, you could get a snack adapter and use original NES Zappers on a CRT with the Mister, which you cannot do on MAME. But on both of them, you could use like a, a Wii remote controllers. You can get a wired USB controller. I haven't ever done that with Mister. I've just seen. Or I'm, I'm sorry, with MAME, but I've seen people do that. Whereas with Mister, it basically just treats a Wiimote like a mouse, and you get a little cursor on the screen. So it. I guess I would really just kind of step back and see what's most important to you. For me personally, I get such limited time to play games and I just want to, I, and I'm not good at games. Like I like playing them. I have fun playing them, but when I lose, I want to lose because I'm the problem, not because I bought a cheap and crappy arcade stick or not because I didn't take the time to tweak my MAME setup and it's got variable lag and I lost because of a laggy solution. Like when I lose, I want it to be my fault, not the hardware that I chose. And while MAME is awesome and you could spend a good amount of time tweaking it, and, and I did a while back, I installed a MAME PC into my Ar Mortal Kombat arcade machine and it was incredible. I mean, it took 
forever to get everything tweaked properly. But once I did, it was an awesome and solid solution. Whereas my Mr. Cade setup, you know, I was detailed in the video, but it essentially was figure out the best way to mount Mr. Cade, power it up, configure the controller on my arcade stick, and then I'm done. So each game that you play, you want to double check controller configuration, like with MAME, but it was pretty plug and play. Whereas my arcade setup required a lot more tweaking, but once it was in, it was in. So that's kind of my, just my perspective on it, but there really is no wrong answer. As long as you use a good solution, even getting like a Raspberry Pi 4 and, uh, and some kind of JAMA solution for that should be a very good experience overall. It's really just what your target end goals and your budget are, and also how good whoever's working on the project is with computers and stuff like that. Because if you're already an IT nerd like me, spending a couple hours building a MAME setup isn't a big deal. Whereas if you're not used to stuff and you're not used to scripting or anything like that, it could be over your head or it could be days of work that is just not necessary with certain other situations. So I would kind of just look at the whole situation and figure out what's best for your setup. A couple of things from Jason Guffey. First is a Sega Saturn RAM expansion cart, something every Saturn owner should have, or should you only pick one up if the games that you want to play require it? And I would just say let the games dictate that. Uh, there's a couple of different lists out there that show which games would benefit from it and which games actually require it to boot at all. And if those games don't matter to you, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, if some of them might, or if there's some games that might load a little faster with it or something like that, yeah, maybe pick one up because they're not that expensive compared to a lot of other things in the retro gaming world. But if the games that you want to play aren't on that list, I don't know if I'd call it a must-have. I would call it like a if you stumble across one. Just my opinion, though. Um, also, is there a repository somewhere for PlayStation 1 games and their resolutions? I don't know of one comprehensive list. I linked to a Google Doc in the PS1 Digital video. I believe some people on Shmups have been discussing this for years now. But I think what'll help that is the PS1 Digital. Uh, I think the list that they have that they're working on with the X station uh, will eventually have a lot of this data. So I should probably talk to, to Dan, Christoph, and Woozle about this and see if there's any possible way for them to to have this data and to export it or something and then yes i think that would be a perfect addition to the wiki and even stuff that maybe maybe i can't use any kind of thing like the ps1 digital to get that info but people have scalers that might say the resolution or something like that um, if that's the case even just people adding the resolutions and saying like here's what it is for the menu here's what it is for the main gameplay here's what it is for the title screen i think all that stuff would be very very helpful especially for people with scalers that need to add the custom timings in like the ossc or in the case of the retro tank 5x do you put it in generic mode or do you put it in the custom mode stuff like that so um, i don't know of one out there yet but i think it's something that's going to fall into place with just you know, between all of the things people are inventing and the eventual launch of the wiki, which, you know, I think that was really ready to go into beta late spring, but I just, you know, as soon as the move became real and I knew this was happening, I didn't want to just open this up for beta and then tell everybody like, well, good luck, I'm out. Like, So this last delay was 100% my fault, but I stand by this one because I at least want to be able to assist to help 
point everybody in the right direction and to make sure the beta launch of it gets it to a point because the beta launch is going to be super important because that's not just about starting to add data. That's about coming up with the full layout and the full workflow of it. So once we get that nailed down, then it's just a matter of, okay, whoever wants to contribute, just start adding. But what the flow of each console page looks like, how you organize the data, like what we decide is like decent suggested practices, that's all pretty important. And that's stuff that even if I don't actually contribute a thing, of course I will, but even if I didn't, I still want to be there with the, the lead people contributing just to kind of make sure everything flows in the right direction so it's easy to use for both nerds and for casual people because i think those are two very different use cases and i think unless you you have a mindset where you're intentionally going to be covering both it'd be very easy to do it you know standard wiki style that's totally nerd based or standard like everything happy point and click bright emojis you know, I think there has to be a happy medium. I think it has to be nerd-centered, but very easy for people to just come in and start using it without knowing what they're even looking for, because it'll all be provided. So it's kind of a, you know, sorry to pump this thing up, but I, I just, it's something that I, I wanted to get right, and I'd rather have people mad at me for delaying it than have people disappointed that I didn't do it right. Um, and also, uh, Jason said, when I said F you to Lewis, uh, they nearly spit out their drink. Yeah, Lewis posted last week that it took him a few days to catch up with it, but he said he was at the gym and, and heard me jokingly mouth off to him and he, he laughed out loud at the gym and everybody looked at him. So I'm glad I could, I'm glad I could make everybody laugh for that one. And I'm glad that people realized that was a joke. I think there was only one person that didn't understand, but they asked, they didn't say like, how dare you talk to Lewis that way? They got, I was just being stupid and, and being silly. So hopefully that got a laugh out of most people and, and not confusion or annoyance or anything like that. But generally speaking, anytime you hear me say anything like that, especially with friends, it's it's just joking and, and being stupid. You don't have to find it funny, but it's nice to know that most people get uh, that I'm not intentionally insulting people. I'm just being stupid. Well, that's it for this week. If you're new to these Q&As, please ask any question you like wherever it is that you support, but please ask in the newest Q&A post. The way all these services work, I can't figure out what's a new post on an older Q&A, so it's just easier and, in my opinion, more fun to just scroll in real time and ask all the ones from the latest week. So any question you got, ask wherever you support in the latest Q&A post. And especially thank you to everybody who does support, because it's you who's keeping all of the behind-the-scenes research, the website, the podcasts, and everything else alive. So thank you all so much and I will see you all next week.